Please uh, remain standing as you are able for our sermon scripture reading, which comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You may be seated. Good morning, Vine Street. I really wish I could be here with you this morning. Uh, I think I'm having a little bit of PTSD preaching to a camera again. Um, so obviously, obviously this is not ideal. Um, but we do trust that God is sovereign, even in situations like this. That his word is still powerful, it still speaks. Um, and so yeah, let me open us with a word of prayer as we begin. Father, may you speak through your word. May you give me the ability to preach in an unusual circumstance. May you give us that are able to hear like the truths that you want to impress on our hearts. And may you do that with your spirit's power. Jesus, may you be present to each one of us this morning, wherever we may be. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, kind of question you'll ask couples, um, it, it, which is just a fun question to ask, is how do they meet? Um, so uh, maybe how they first met, how they engaged. And, and, and aside from them just being fun stories to listen to, they also can tell us really interesting things about the personality of the couple. It, it usually has their kind of own, you know, kind of DNA fingerprint on, on, on what all went down. So, for instance, um, one of Marika's best friends in college, um, her fiancé, the way he proposed, part of that proposal involved him ziplining across the campus quad. When you say yes to that proposal, you know that what you're getting yourself into is not going to be a routine life. And that's been fairly true for their life. They've lived anything but a kind of routine, mundane life. Um, for Marco and I, we still don't have differing opinions on that. That is all a forecasting of two strong personalities um, who will have their own opinions even tending to their relationship. How we meet, the, the stories of how we meet one another in our, in our relationships can tell a lot about us. But the question, how did you meet Jesus, is even more important and even more important. It shows us 
something that's essential about the plight of humanity, and then also at the end of the day, our stories of how we came to know Christ, of how we became followers of Jesus, will have different details and have different feels and nuances, but they will all tell the same basic story, which is that I was desperately lost, and Jesus found me, and he made me his own. For that is what Jesus came to do, to seek and to save the lost. Now we're looking at the story of Zacchaeus, and this is a very story, probably too well known. Sometimes when we've heard a story so many times, our eyes glaze over and we miss the power and the profundity in it. And so I encourage you to, as much as you can, try to hear the story with fresh ears. We're going to spend our time this morning as I'm going to give a quick summary of the story, some observations, and we're going to look at three theological truths that come to us from the story. And these three theological truths will be the outline for us. The first theological truth will be that Jesus seeks and saves. Second truth will be that Jesus seeks and saves the lost. And then the third theological truth is that Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost, and he invites us to join him. Before we jump into our text, let's just get, again get some context. We are quickly approaching Jerusalem. Again, starting in chapter 9, when it says Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, that's kind of in the background. But here we are in Jericho. Only 15 miles from Jerusalem, only a reaching for Jesus' triumphal entry, and so things are, are moving towards their climax in this gospel. And here in Jericho, last week, we saw a poor man become a follower of Jesus. And here this morning, we're going to see a story of a rich man become a follower of Jesus. Now, just to summarize this story, again, we're given one main character, and that's Zacchaeus. And we're told something very important about Zacchaeus, and that he was a tax collector. Now, I've, I've talked before about who tax collectors were. They worked for the Roman Empire. Um, they, they, they collected taxes. Oftentimes, there was a lot of room for corruption and self-enrichment built into the system. So um, they were disliked for that. And then when a Jew, like Zacchaeus, would, would work as a tax collector, he was viewed as a, as, as a traitor to his own people, as working for the enemy, for the, for the oppressor. And it was Zacchaeus a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. He would have been a kind of head over one of the three major regional tax offices in Palestine, the one that was based in Jericho. And so Zacchaeus was, he was an influential man, he was an important man, he was a wealthy man, and he was a widely disliked man. And here's Zacchaeus, here's that Jesus is going by, and he could try to see the spectacle. Look at verse 3. And says, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Again, Jesus was a, a, a well-known uh, figure. Um, people would have heard stories about him, and now he's passing through Jericho. Before the days of radio and TV and all that, this is what you did for entertainment. A well-known person comes through, you go out and try to see the spectacle, see what it's all about. But Jesus does the unexpected. And he comes to the tree in which... Zacchaeus is sitting, Jesus all of a sudden looks up and he offers Zacchaeus an invitation. And sometime in between that invitation and verse 8, Zacchaeus becomes a follower of Jesus. Because in verse 9, right after verse 8, Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house. That's the end of the story. 
And before we get to this first theological truth, I want to make just some reflections on the conversion of Zacchaeus, because there's a lot in here that's just a reflection. First observation about Zacchaeus' conversion, which should obviously be clear already, is that we're not shown the moment of conversion. Again, uh, Jesus um, looks up in verse 5, gives this invitation, and then verse 9 states that salvation has come, but we don't know where in between then the moment of conversion happened. It doesn't tell us. It also doesn't focus on the exact process of conversion. Was there a certain prayer Zacchaeus had to pray? Were there certain emotions he had to feel? Was there specific teachings he had to affirm? It doesn't, it doesn't tell us. It doesn't mean these are unimportant. Obviously, they're important. But perhaps there's something even more important that Jesus is trying to get at. And what is emphasized in this story is Zacchaeus' changed life. Again, in Zacchaeus stands up and makes this public proclamation of giving back, he is basically doing what Jesus had asked the rich young ruler to do only two stories back, but that rich young ruler had refused. Here Zacchaeus gives away half of his fortune, and then he repays anyone fourfold, anyone he has defrauded. Rich people don't do that before their death. <laughs> there are well-known names. You give a Rockefeller, right, who, who, who at his death gave away large amounts of his, of his wealth. I can't think of a single well-known wealthy person who gave away well over half of their net wealth when they were still in the prime of their life. That's not what rich people do. This is a radical transformation. Something has happened to Zacchaeus. We've heard this story so many times that we can forget how shocking this is. So I want to even try out how this is. Mark Zuckerberg, he's a CEO of, uh, of Facebook. He has had many reasons and many opportunities to apologize to the users of Facebook for various faux pas and mistakes and yada yada yada. One of the most notorious happened in 2018 when it came out that Facebook had been allowing apps to scrape personal information from its users um, and, then, and then use that in various ways. And so there was one app that got the personal information from over 87 million Facebook users and then sold it to Cambridge Analytica, which was a political consulting firm, who then sold it to various like national political campaigns. And when this came out, that, that, that you know, Facebook was allowing apps to do this, and most users didn't realize, there was, just, there, I mean, there was a maelstrom, a media maelstrom. And at first, Mark Zuckerberg argued that, well, you know, it's buried in the, you know, take your info, but when that was clearly not good faith, he then came out with an apology, said they were sorry, they made a mistake, and then they changed some of the privacy settings so that you could, it was much easier for you to give permission or take away permission to have your information shared. He apologized. The question is, how sincere was that apology, really? It seems like Zuckerberg was more upset that he got caught than really feeling genuine remorse for how he handled the private information of those who use his platform. But imagine if when all this came out, Mark Zuckerberg's response had been to give away half of his net worth, half of his hundred billion dollars he was worth at the time, and then say that he was going to personally compensate, financially compensate 
every single one of those 87 million users who had had their personal information used without their knowledge. It's hard to even imagine that, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to realistically imagine Mark Zuckerberg or any fabulously wealthy person doing something like that. It's beyond, it's beyond the imagination. But this is what happens to Zacchaeus when he meets Jesus, an immensely rich man who got his wealth in maybe shady business dealings, or at least in a way that was not considered a, 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 a you know, worthwhile pursuit, a noble pursuit for Jew. By meeting Jesus, he gives up half of his wealth, repays who knows how many people. It would have been just as shocking as if Mark Zuckerberg, as if Mark Zuckerberg had given away half of his wealth as well. And this fact of, it, of Zacchaeus's change of life of how drastic it was, of how sudden it was, of how ultimate it was, brings us to our first theological truth, which is that it is Jesus who seeks and saves. The initiative here in this story is with Jesus. It's not with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wasn't searching for God. Now we may think, well, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. In fact, he, he climbed up into a tree, but again, it tells us that he was just, he wanted to see who Jesus was. He was, his, his curiosity was piqued. This is, enter, this is good entertainment. In a time before, you know, even books were that common, this is what you did when you were bored. And you may think, well, would, would someone really climb up in a tree for the sake of entertainment? And I would just say, well, just Google search Harry Potter movie premiere night, and you will see the extent that people will go to for the sake of entertainment. The initiative here is with Jesus. Jesus is the one who sought out Zacchaeus, not vice versa. And this is a basic truth for every Christian. We don't come to Jesus because we've labored for him. It doesn't happen after a long journey of us seeking him out and seeking truth and wanting to know him. But rather, for every Christian, we're lost. And then God sent his Son to find us. The initiative of salvation always begins with God. Every other world religion is different. Every other world religion is collaborative in how it understands our relationship with whatever divine being is believed in that world religion. Whether it's God or Mother Earth or the One, they all assume this kind of symbiotic, reciprocal relationship where maybe the divine transcendent figure, whoever that is, is reaching down to us, but we are also reaching up to it, him, her, whatever. But the New Testament image is very different. The New Testament image of salvation is God leaving his throne and coming to us. The New Testament image is of a, a shepherd leaving the 99 in order to find that one lie. The New Testament images of a, a woman who is looking for a lost coin in her house, and so she sweeps and scours the house until she can find it. In New Testament Christianity, salvation is a gift to those who don't deserve it, to those who weren't even looking for it. We were lost. Jesus found us. Now this theological truth of that it's Jesus who seeks and saves, it's not just a, an abstract truth that we file away in our brain and we move on. It has great practical application. First and foremost, it is the source of our humility. It's the source of our humility before God. 
when we become a Christian, no matter where God may take us, no matter what he may do through us, it doesn't matter if we go on to become the next Billy Graham or the next John Piper or whomever. Nonetheless, still, we were once lost without hope and Jesus came and found us. So anything he may do through us is just addition to that grace. It's still grace upon grace because we didn't deserve to be here in the first place. It leads to our humility before God. It also leads to humility before others. Because we are all of us, all of us who, who follow Jesus, who've placed our, our trust in him, we're all radically the same. It doesn't matter our gender, our age, our ethnicity, our background, our experiences. It doesn't matter what we're bringing to the table. All of us were lost until Jesus found us. It's a radical equality. So that's the first truth we see from this story, is that Jesus seeks and saves. Second, we see that Jesus seeks and saves the lost. Look at verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now in this verse we're told first what Jesus came to do, but we're, we're, also, called, we're also told whom Jesus came for. He came for specifically the lost. Now, Jesus ministered to all kinds of people, to the rich, the poor, the famous, the, the not famous. Like, he, he ministered in the city, in the country. It, he ministered even to Gentiles. He ministered to anyone. All he cared about was the lost. That was what mattered to him, whether you were a lost rich person or a lost poor person, whether you were a lost famous person or a lost nobody. It didn't matter. What mattered to him is finding the lost. Now, obviously, we should clarify that in, in that Jesus was looking for those who understood they were lost, because everyone is lost. But only some people realize it, and Jesus was on a mission to find them. He came to seek and to save the lost. That's all that mattered for Jesus. And it didn't matter to him even if that lost person was a tax collector. Not just a tax collector, a chief tax collector. Again, in the Judaism of the time, there were people that were taboo, off-limits. They were what you'd call the wrong kind of lost person. And that was Zacchaeus. It's interesting, you know, this is somewhat speculative, but it's not completely clear that Zacchaeus was just a terribly immoral person. Think about it. He's, he's occupied half of his wealth, and then anyone he has defrauded four, four, four times what he's taken from them. So if he's already given away half his wealth, how many people could he have defrauded and still be able to repay them fourfold? It seems pretty likely there may have been a couple people, but he was not a notoriously corrupt person. The problem with Zacchaeus in this story is that he was a chief tax collector. He was the wrong kind of law person. As many of you know, I, I used to serve on staff with Sojourn Midtown. And the story of how Sojourn, which was founded as Sojourn Community Church, the story of how it began, it was, it was a merging of two very interesting groups. One was um, basically a ministry that was focused on reaching the kind of punk rock music scene in Louisville. This is the 90s, right? So punk rock is still kind of a thing. Um, so that was one group that merged then with a bunch of high school students and a fired youth pastor. This youth pastor had been a youth pastor at Old Green Louisville, and he'd been doing great, 
they started reaching non-Christian students who started coming on Wednesday night. And when they came, some of them smelled like marijuana. And many of them used rather salty language, we might say. And there began to be a, 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 a pushback against this. And people from the church not wanting these kids, these lost kids, to be around their good Christian kids. They'd be a bad influence. These kids who were coming, they were the wrong lost person. And so the youth pastor was fired. And so when he was fired, he took those wrong lost kids and went and started Sojourn Community Church. It's a really cool story. But it's more complex than that. Because if you visited Sojourn a couple years into its launch, maybe it would have been maybe 100, maybe 150 people, mostly young, a lot of black clothing, a lot of tattoos, a lot of earrings. And if, you, and if an investment banker wearing a sundial had wanted more Sojourn services, he would have now been the wrong kind of lost person. In every church, for every Christian, there's always going to be the wrong kind of lost person. Because although we've been redeemed by Christ and made new, we're, we're sinner saints. We still have the flesh alive and kicking the old prejudices. And so there will always be people who maybe you wouldn't want to really get lunch with. Maybe you really wouldn't want around your kids. People who you find yourself more irritated towards and compassionate towards. But Jesus gives us an example in that he pursued the lost, even the wrong kind of lost people, even a tax collector. My prayer for us as a church is that we will continue to be a place where anyone who is lost can come and feel welcome and find a home. And it doesn't matter what they're wearing, it doesn't matter their political affinity, it doesn't matter where they're coming from, it doesn't matter what they smell like. They can find a home here. Now this is more of a do not grow weary in doing good type exhortation, because I really think Vine Street historically and currently is a place where that's true. But do not grow weary in doing good. Cultures can drift. Cultures can change. If this isn't something that we intentionally pursue, we intentionally race, there's no guarantee it'll continue. And so this, this, for us, this is an encouragement to work towards continuing to be a community. What we have in common as those who are found by Jesus when we were hopelessly lost is frankly more important, more existentially significant to each one of us than what makes us different, than our difference in age, or gender, or ethnicity, or vocation, or even, dare I say, secular theological doctrines. In a seminary city, that last statement might be the most controversial of what I said. But again, are we a people who care more about the fact that we were lost and now we're found, and within broad evangelical confines, people who place high the cross of Christ and, and scriptures and believe in for conversion and having an active faith within those kind of broad apostles' creed of truths, we're just willing to say the secondary doctrines are just as important. And we're going to hold what we have in common much closer, and we will be a refuge for the lost a place where Jesus himself is present. Jesus seeks and saves the lost. This brings us to our third and final point, which is that Jesus 
is still seeking and saving the lost, and he invites us to join him. Jesus is still doing this. Through his spirit, through his church, he is still seeking and saving the lost, and he invites us to join him in what he's doing. Now, I say invite, more accurately, I could say he commands us. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19-20 says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's not a suggestion. Jesus says, oh, go, go the lost, make disciples, teach them what I have taught you. Go, do it. But there's also an invitation here, and I want to I want to focus on the invitation. At the end of this great commission, you'll see Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. And Jesus' point is that as we obey Jesus in his great commission, as we go, seek out the law, make disciples, there is no place we could go, no context we could find ourselves in, no situation in which Jesus would not himself be with us. He will always be with us as we step out on this mission. Another way we could say it is that if we want fellowship with Jesus, if we want Christ to be with us, if we want to experience the intimacy of fellowship with our Lord, then we've got to go where he is. And that is seeking the lost. For at the end of the day, this is why the church exists. We are in, 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 in the basic essence of our being as a church, we are a great commission community. Christ founded the church to continue the work that he began, to join him in the work he is still doing by the power of his Holy Spirit. We exist in order to seek and share the gospel with the lost. You may say, wait, 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 I thought of the church we exist to worship and glorify God. Obviously, yes, that's true. Ultimately, we worship Him through the Great Commission, through responding to this invitation to join Him. And I'll tell you what, if you're anything like me, like, I need to be reminded that this is why we gather. I need to be reminded because I forget. Because at the end of the day, I, I really enjoy like, this. You know, one of the many reasons why this is frustrating that I'm preaching to a camera and I can't be with you is because I really enjoy coming on Sunday mornings. I enjoy singing songs with my brothers and my sister in Christ. I enjoy listening to people pray and I enjoy fellowshipping. I enjoy preaching and actually seeing people and seeing God work in people's lives. Like, I enjoy that. And I can begin to forget that the point isn't just to have a very pleasant, enjoyable Sunday service. We're not primarily here just to host a service, but we're here, we gather every Sunday morning in order to be strengthened, encouraged, emboldened, equipped, and then sent back out into whatever particular mission field that God in His mysterious sovereignty has placed you. We really should, at all the exits of our church, whether you're going to go out the back door, out the side door, we should have written above that doorway, you are now entering the mission field. Because when we gather here this morning, we're gathered here to be equipped and reminded and, and, and encouraged and called to a deeper love of Jesus so we can then go back out as missionaries in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, Maybe in our own families, among our friends, wherever God, again in His sovereign, mysterious, 
purposes and will has placed you, that's where you're sent. And so each Sunday equip us for that, that we might go out in Jesus' name to seek the lost, to join him in what he's already doing. And so again, as we're, you know, as we're entering a new year, it's a good time to reflect on what's gone before in 2021. It's a good time to reflect on, on, on 2022, what's coming ahead, what we want to come to head, what, what are our hopes and our dreams and our longings. When it comes to Vine Street, there are probably many hopes that we have for our church, but at the top of that list ought to be that we have baptisms. Not just so we can fill up our baptism and pat ourselves on the back, but because it'll be evidence that the lost are being found. That we're seeing people come to faith in Christ who are dead and are now alive. That we're actually fulfilling the mission of why we're here in the first place. So what I'm asking, for you, asking you to do, as we're looking ahead, Join me in praying. God, give us baptisms this year. In 2022, we want baptisms. As we join Jesus in what he's already doing and seeking and saving the lost, as we join him, pray that Christ will honor that, will, 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 will give fruit to our faithfulness and our efforts, and we will see baptisms this year. We'll see lost people found. And don't just pray that today. Join me. I'm going to be praying that every week, hopefully every day, for as long as it takes. And I, and I, and I tell you what, that's a prayer I think Jesus... Del- Let me back up. That's a prayer that Jesus delights to answer. Because it's because, it, because that's what he wants to do in the first place. That's why we're here. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He's still seeking and saving the lost, and he invites us to join him. Let's do that, Vine Street. Let's do that with joy, with expectation, with hope, because we serve a Lord who is still living, who is still active, who is at work in all kinds of ways. Let's pray. Jesus, we are, we are in awe of you as the Lord of life, out the strongest and the best and the brightest but to seek and to save the lost and you, you found us when we were lost when we were with hope and you made us your own you bought us with your blood and we are yours Jesus may that truth impact everything that we do all of our days and we ask that you will bring fruit into our midst. We ask that you will bring baptisms this year of people who right now are far from you, but whom you will, whom you will find and save. May you use us to, to do that. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.